from St. John's Gospel. And Jesus said to her, Mary, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. I'm sure there's a few of you that have some family in town today. I do too. My, uh, my middle daughter Katie's back from UCF where she's studying to be an anesthetist, and I promised her a dad joke. You ready? <laughs> Did you hear about the guy who evaporated? Yeah, he'll be missed. <laughs> Anyhow, we're not here for me to be a comedian. I'm not funny. But we are here to talk today about Jesus Christ who conquers death to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and who, the, God, the God who conquers death and gives us life. You know, it surprises a lot of people, I guess it shouldn't, but it does, that uh, when they find out that I was not raised a Christian, I did not for much of my life believe any of this stuff. Well, not much of my life, my probably early 20s. I mean, I didn't really believe in the resurrection. I didn't believe in really this whole Jesus thing. I thought it was all sort of fairy tale and wishful thinking and that sort of Freudian, you know, uh, wish fulfillment stuff. I'm a left-brained guy. I'm an engineer by training and in my corporate world before I became a priest. I want proof, man. I want evidence. I want facts or else, to quote St. Thomas, I will not believe. That was me. Um, of course, I believe now, which hopefully doesn't surprise you, uh, for lots of reasons, actually. One of them is the historical evidence of the resurrection that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, look, there's lo lots have been written on this. There's a great book, if you're curious, called The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. It's about this thick. It's not a hard read, but he goes through all the data, the facts of the case for the resurrection of Jesus. But one thing he does say, and sort of in summary, is he says this, that there is more evidence, more historical evidence, that Jesus rose from the dead and that Julius Caesar was a ruler in Rome. It's a pretty bold claim, I think. That if we, if you do, if you, and again, the facts speak for themselves, if you do your due diligence, right, if you engage that data rather than just dismiss it, which is what I did for a long, a long time, if you actually engage the facts, you come to the conclusion, which is inevitable, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I'll give you one, one thing, which, the thing which really clinched it for me amongst friends. Um, if you know your story, the 12 apostles after Christ was crucified, he was crucified as a rebel, a rebel, right? And so after he's crucified, they all scatter, you know, because they know that if the Jews catch him or the Romans, they're next. And so they split, man. They are, they are on the road to Emmaus, we read about next week. They run away because they're scared. Who wouldn't be? And so the one thing which is fascinating, and this is what got me thinking, was all of those 12 apostles, all of them ran away. All of them were scared, rightly so. But here's the hook. They claimed to have seen Jesus raised from the dead. And not only that, they refused to, do, they refused to repent and recant when they were challenged. And not only that, every single one of them, except for Paul, uh, John, Every single one of them was executed for their faith. The Romans were very good at two things, building stuff and killing people, right? And, uh, and the Romans were they crucified them, you know, burned, tore their skin off, burned them alive, crucified them upside down. And that got me thinking, like, okay, nobody will die for a lie. 
I wouldn't die for, I would not die for something I knew was false. There's nothing to gain and literally everything to lose. My point, and I'm going to move on, is I wanted evidence. I wanted facts. I wanted claims. I want, and that for me was something which said to me, I've got to investigate this. If this is true, if Christ really raised from the dead, this changes everything. And man, I have to know whether it's true or not. But I also think something else is true that facts don't convert people. Evidence doesn't convert someone. I mean, evidence might move the needle, right? For me, for example, evidence, science, frankly, made belief in God credible and plausible, and I would say necessary. Evidence might move the needle, but evidence does not convert someone. What converts a person, and you can call it lots of things, being born again, I call it the click, right? The aha moment. It's not fact. It's not just facts. There's more to it. What actually makes a person believe? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Why do some people believe and some don't? Is there a pattern? Is there a recurring theme? And the answer is, yes, there is. All through the Easter apparitions of Jesus, the appearances of him as resurrected, we see a project plan, a, a, a strategy that God has for the conversion of the human heart. And we're going to take an example this morning of a woman named Mary. Mary Magdalene is our case study, our example for how people come to faith in Christ. Because look, we'll get to this. She had all the facts. She had all the evidence. She talked to Jesus, resurrected from the dead, but she still didn't believe. So what changed? What changed? Something had to have changed. What was it? We're going to talk about it. So two things. What gets in the way of faith? What are the things that get in the way of faith for Mary or you or me or anybody you know? What gets in the way of our faith? And then secondly, the power of a name. Those are my two points. I preach in points because I'm wicked ADD, and if I don't, I'll lose my train of thought. (laughs) What, uh, What gets in the way of our faith? And then secondly, the power of a name. So first thing, let me just give you some background if you don't already know this. Jesus, as you know, had been crucified on Good Friday, three days ago, and he is crucified, dies around three o'clock in the afternoon. He's got to be in the tomb by 5 p.m. because the, the Jewish Sabbath begins. Now, Jewish burial rites took a long time, hours and hours and hours. And so to get Jesus in the cave before five o'clock sunset, it was, um, to be blunt, it was a rush job, Right? And since no work could be done on the Sabbath, on Saturday, Jesus sits kind of dead but not prepared for burial yet in the tomb until the first thing on Sunday morning, today. And so Mary, one of his friends, one of his followers, also Jewish, she says, I've got to go finish the job we started on Friday, get Jesus' body ready for burial, which is a complex process. And so she goes to the tomb to prepare her friend's body for burial. She arrives at the tomb, she finds it empty, which is a little weird, right? It's very strange. And if you notice, again, more evidence, right? She doesn't say, woo, he's risen. She says, he's been taken. And if you know anything about Mary Magdalene, which I'll talk about in a minute, Mary Mary is like the worst person you would ever pick for your star witness. I mean, seriously, she's a woman. Women could not testify in a court of law in the first century, so that's off the table. And secondly, Mary had issues, which we'll get to. So if you're going to pick somebody to be your star witness, she's the very last person. And yet, she goes, and she sees that the tomb is empty, and she says, he is stolen. And she runs back, and she tells Peter and John, and they come to the tomb, and they see that the tomb is, in fact, empty. 
So Mary returns to the tomb with the, with the guys. She's heartbroken. She's discouraged. She's sad. She's afraid. And she's wondering why, who would have taken the body of my dear friend, who I'm here to finish his preparation. And then here's where it gets really funny, strange. <laughs> she sees Jesus. Look at it again. She sees him, but she doesn't really see him. Super cool. She sees him, right? She sees the resurrected Jesus, but she doesn't really see him. In fact, and there's some humor in here, she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> I think that's funny. Maybe it's just me, but she thinks he's the, the gardener, and she says to him, she says to Jesus, where have you taken my Lord? She thinks that the gardener knows where this stolen body of her friend is. My point I want you to see here, and it's obvious if somebody points it out to you, Mary has all the evidence you could possibly want. She sees the dead Jesus in front of her, and yet she still doesn't believe He's standing in front of her, but she still doesn't see him. Now, here's the question. Why is that? Well, point one, what gets in the way of our faith? Why doesn't Mary see Jesus for what he is? Well, Mary, like you and like me, had a past. Matthew and Mark tell us that Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Seven demons that Jesus had cast out of her, and Jesus had healed her. Now, the interesting thing is, we don't know what those demons were, right? We don't know what, what she was doing, which manifested in demonic possession. But whatever it, it was, and I'll leave it to your imagination, there's children present. You could probably guess what they were, right? Uh, what, was, what was Mary's baggage that was preventing her? From, what were these demons that were afflicting her? Well, we don't know because the text doesn't tell us, but everybody else there did. Remember, these are small towns, and so Mary, who had these demons cast out of her, everybody else knew what had gone on with her. Everybody else knew that, yeah, she's that woman who fill in the blank, right? Everyone else knew her. Gossip, you know, dirt travels fast, man, even in a small town like Vera Beach. Dirt travels, you know, if you live here full-time, even without TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and whatever else we have. Whatever Mary did, everyone else knew about it. She was the proverbial talk of the town. Here's the point. Mary had a past. Mary had a past just like you do and just like I do. I mean, the details differ. Oh, maybe not. But think about it. Rejection, fear, abuse... Rape, whatever, I don't know. Have you ever been ignored by a group of people or, or seen the kid, the proverbial kid on the playground by himself? It's pathetic in the Greek sense of the word pathos, right? Mary had a past like you and me, and the point I want you to see is that that past blinded her. I'll give you an example. I had a friend of mine in high school whose name was not Mary. <laughs> or was it? She was fun, she had a lot of friends, but man, she could take the things the wrong way sometimes. I didn't know this at first when I knew her as a friend, but, but her dad was always critical of her. I came to see that later on as our, as our friendship developed, but her, friend, her dad was always critical of her. Get better grades, work harder at field hockey, get a good job, you know, can't you be like your brothers? You get the idea. And as a result, Mary heard everything, everything, everything with a critical spirit. 
If you said anything even remotely critical of her, she instantly became defensive at even the slightest perceived criticism. Anybody, you know someone like that maybe? Nah. (laughs) But the point I want you to see here is she heard criticism and judgment when there was none. Know why? Because her past blinded her. The past. That sounds so funny, the past. Frozen in time. Some of us live in the past. We say that, boy, that guy lives in the past. Some of us say stuck in the past, right? We never kind of grow out of it. I know guys from high school that I went to high school with 35 years ago in Westchester, Pennsylvania, Bishop Shanahan High School, where I went. It's not there anymore. But those guys, I still hang out together. I'm thinking, man, talk about stuck. Like, but, hey, look, you do you. But even, but even if you're not stuck in the past, even if you're not stuck in the past, you've moved on in some way, the deal is all of us, all of you, and certainly me, are affected by our past. It colors our perceptions, doesn't it? It blinds us to the present. So what about you? You know, we don't know what Mary's seven demons were. You know why? I think the reason we don't know is that you can insert your own in there. What about you? Where have you been hurt by others or betrayed or criticized or made to feel worthless? Does that affect the way you see the world today? Yeah, it does. Own it. You bet it does. It did for Mary. It does for me. It does for you. What about you? What about your past holds you back from Jesus? You can't forgive yourself. You can't forgive others. You know, we all got stuff. Because the past can keep us, friends, from recognizing Jesus. But so can our present. Let's go back to the story. So here you are, Mary Magdalene. You're talking to Jesus. Where have you put him? You've got, one, you've got one item on your to-do list for the day. One item. Bury your friend. You've got one thing, you get one, one task to accomplish, right? It's a long, it's a whole day's, maybe two days process. You've got one thing to do. But again, in the present, Mary's busyness blinds her to Jesus. I mean, Jesus... <laughs> is literally, literally staring her in the face, and she thinks he's the gardener. Have you taken his body? Think about it. How many of us get so wrapped up in the day-to-day tasks of our own lives that we neglect our relationship with God? Anybody? I do. I feel funny saying that, but it's the truth. I mean, if we, we get so busy in the present of our, we get so busy with the present of our day that we neglect God, we all do it. I'll be honest with you. I'm the rector of this parish. It's a big job. I've got a big staff. There's a lot of moving parts. We're putting in a new school. Staff meetings and budgets and sermon prep and pastoral meetings with people. I love what I do, but I will tell you honestly, to be perfectly honest with you, I sometimes take my eyes off the Lord. My dad used to say life is all about, and if you think of it, life is all about priorities. My dad used to say And he's right, you know. The things you focus on are the things you focus on. The things that you want to achieve are where you're going to put all of your energy. We focus on, someone said to me once, this is great advice. They said, you know, we focus on the small things and then we wonder why our lives seem so small. So here, our baggage of the past that affects us, there's no way around it. It's part of who you are. The present busyness, that also keeps us from recognizing Jesus. But there's one more, and it's a biggie. As Mary stands there talking to the gardener, and she says, tell me, sir, where you have taken him away. The third thing that keeps her from seeing Jesus is worry. 
You ever notice something? Somebody pointed this out to me one time, that worrying never solves anything. Did you ever notice that? Worrying never solves anything. Is it good to be prepared for contingencies? Yeah, man, I run this whole operation. I mean, I got a great staff, but yeah, I'm always thinking about stuff. But, but worry never actually solves anything. My good friend, Father Don Gross, who was my spiritual director in seminary, he was, my, he was a priest, a psychologist. He was also the diocesan exorcist. So uh, I got the trifecta, you might say. Um, <laughs> but he said to me once, he said, you know, and this is actually really insightful. He said, worry is trying to solve a problem that has not yet occurred. That's interesting. Worrying is trying to solve a problem that has not yet occurred. We forget, friends, to live in the present. We get so worried about things down the road and try to plan for all the contingencies because we want to control it. Jesus says, Jesus says this later on in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. He says, rhetorically, he says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to the span of your life? Can you? And of course the answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. We focus on the what if rather than the what is. You know, the only period of time that's real is the present. So Mary's baggage from her past blinds her, her present busyness blinds her, and her worry blinds her. So what actually does it? She's got all the evidence she needs, everything she needs to, to believe in Jesus. What changes her? What's the hook? One word. Mary. Jesus calls her by name, and then she sees him. See, Mary was not converted by evidence. Nobody ever is. You can never reason someone into the kingdom. I will never convert anyone from the pulpit. That's not my job. What actually converts people is meeting Jesus. Indeed, the evidence, Jesus himself was standing right in front of her. What changed her, what changes you, what's changed me, is a personal encounter with the risen Jesus, then and now. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever called you? Has God ever reached you in a way which you knew something had happened, but you weren't sure what it was? Remember the time? Remember the time? Remember the time you were completely desperate because you lost someone close to you? A friend or a neighbor or maybe a child, God forbid. Remember the time when your job fell apart or your children got in trouble or your marriage broke up or, you know, fill in the blank, man. Everybody's got stuff. You've all got stuff. We've all got a past. Remember that? Remember that time when you were in the middle of that struggle and you thought, what am I going to do? My life is over. I am hopeless. I've got nothing. Well, let me ask you a question. Where are you now? See, that's Jesus working in your life. Don't miss it. Maybe you can't point to something specific in your relationship with God at all. Maybe you can. I hope you can. Maybe you can't. But I can guarantee you at least this, that you know someone in your life who has. You know someone in your life who knows the Lord, and they have something that you wish you had, but you don't. They have purpose and they have courage, and they have hope, and they have joy, and not in some stupid Nun Flanders way. I mean, the real thing, right? Joy in the midst of suffering, because they know the end game. See, friends, Jesus, then and now, changes lives for good, Mary's and yours. And he invites you to come along and see how he will change you. The invitation stands. The evidence is clear. The ball is now in your proverbial court. 
Because here's the deal. Every single person in this room right now, the person sitting in your seat right now, is here for one reason. You know what it is? It's because you want freedom. You want freedom from past hurts. You want freedom from worry. You want freedom from the struggles in your lives. Well, it's offered to you. Jesus calls you by name. But it's up to you to respond. See, friends, what occurred to me back 25, 30 years ago when I finally dug into this, I realized something important, that if the stakes on this question for the resurrection are just too high. They're just too high. If this is true, this changes everything. But the time is also short. And the life that Jesus offers you is so much better, so much better than the life you settle for now. Don't let this Easter be another one and done. Don't be this, be this, this Easter be another check the box and then off to, off to brunch, which I'm going to do too, by the way. <laughs> but don't leave it there. Don't let, this vic, don't let this Easter pass you by. If you want victory, if you want victory over the struggles and challenges of this life, if you want assurance, then you must say yes to his call. It's up to you. Let me question you. Let me challenge you today on this Easter day. Will you recommit your life again to him? Will you be a slave to the baggage of the past? Will you be a slave to the busyness of the present? Will you be a slave to the worries of the future? Or, or will you be victorious through Jesus who is raised from the dead and calls you by name? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who rose victorious from the dead and offers us a new life the life we've always wanted, the life we crave. Free us from the baggage of our past. Protect us from the, worry, the concerns of the, of the present. Protect us from worry. Help us to hear when you call us each by name. In the name of Jesus Christ, who was raised on this day from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.